if you would, open your Bible to First Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. We'll start there tonight. How did the nation of Israel get out of Egypt? You got it. They walked out. Let's try that again. I know you guys were distracted trying to find 2 Corinthians. How did they get out of Egypt? They walked out. Do you hear what the Holy Spirit's been saying to us? They didn't push their way out. They didn't fight their way out. They didn't run out. They didn't escape. They walked out. For the slave in the United States, the story was quite different, wasn't it? The Civil War, the cost of thousands of lives and the shed blood of men and women on both sides was a tremendous cost of freedom for the slaves. And even after they were set free, they weren't really free for about 100 years. It took a, a long time for the laws to catch up with the reality that had taken place. But when God delivered the nation of, Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt, he had them walk out. They walked out with the authority and the permission of Pharaoh. He told them basically, get out, I don't want you here. And then they walked out with 400 years of back pay that, that the, the Egyptians gave to them. And they spoiled the Egyptians and walked out. They walked into the promised land in the same way. And God has been saying this to us a few weeks now because uh, there is an importance of you and I understanding that we walk by faith and we walk in grace. And the grace of God is a, uh, an understanding that you and I are, are, are doing the things we're called to do by the strength God supplies. When you and I understand that we walk in grace, we understand that the power that we need to do the things that are impossible in our life are provided by God. And doors that we couldn't open on our own, doors we couldn't blow open with all the guns and ammo, blow, doors that we couldn't force open with all the money in the world, just swing open when you walk by the grace of God. And the better you come to understand that, the better uh, that you can fully enjoy and experience all that God has provided to you through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul said, and maybe this will help us understand it a little bit. He said, I work harder or I, later, I labor more than all of the apostles. So Paul is talking about Peter, he's talking about James, he's talking about John. He's talking about all those guys who walked with Jesus. He says, I labor harder and more than all of them. Sounds like a drudgery, right? Sounds like the, the guy would want to be complaining. And it's not a complaint. He's not saying, man, I work harder than all of you. He's saying, I labor harder. I, I labor more. I do more than everybody else. But not I. The grace of God within me. Pablo dice uh, en, en su carta a los Corintios, yo trabajo más que todos los apóstoles, pero no yo, sino la gracia de Dios en mí. Y él está describiendo que hay una fuerza, un poder que uh, está operando la vida del creyente. There's a power at work in the life of the believer. 
Uh, that is the grace of God. Esa es la gracia de Dios. Por eso el Señor nos ha estado diciendo seguidamente que debemos caminar. Uh, eh, eh, el pueblo de Israel salió caminando. Significa que ellos salieron en gracia. Salieron por la fuerza de Dios. Lo que su propia fuerza no les dio por 400 años. La fuerza de Dios les dio en un día. What their strength could not produce in 400 years, God did in one day. And they walked out by the strength that God supplied. So I want you to say this with me. I can do everything God has called me to do by the strength that he supplies. Have you experienced God's supply strength? ¿Cuántos han tenido la experiencia que Dios ha suplido poder? Que Él ha dado gracia. He's given you grace. Now, the other meaning of the word grace, the one we're more familiar with, is unmerited favor, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. That was God giving us something we didn't deserve. But grace has another side of it, and that's help. God's divine power at work in our life. La gracia de Dios es también el favor de Dios, pero estamos aprendiendo a caminar por gracia, to walk by faith is to walk in the grace of God. El caminar por fe es caminar en la gracia de Dios. Not everybody can run. But God says, walk. Take the next step. He didn't say, run the next mile. He just said, take the next step by faith. Do the thing I'm putting in front of you to do. And so they walked out of Egypt and we saw that there were four things God gave Moses in order to deliver the people of Israel so they could walk out. Vimos que Dios le dio a Moisés cuatro elementos para que ellos pudieran salir andando de la tierra de Egipto. These four things, uh, if you have been in the services regarding this, you'll, you'll remember them, but I'm going re to rehearse them for you quickly just so you'll know. Four things. Uh, the first thing was the rod. Lo primero que Dios usó fue la vara. Six of the ten plagues were brought about by the rod. Seis de las diez plagas fueron traídas por la vara. Do you remember the rod? ¿Cuándo recuerdan la vara? I, I, taught you, I taught you about the rod because the rod speaks about our walk. Les enseñé sobre la vara porque la vara representa nuestro caminar. And I, I, I shared with you that the promise of God is that uh, to, to behold the shepherd's staff. Um, la promesa de Dios o el mandato de Dios es mira la vara del pastor. And the fact is that when you behold the shepherd's staff, you see that it covers you. La vara te cubre. How many of you are covered by the rod? That's why what we read tonight is so important. No plague will come near my dwelling. And not because you bought the disinfectant. But because of the rod. Say amen somebody. Ninguna plaga de mortandad entrará a mi casa. Y no porque compré la química necesaria. Sino porque la vara me protege. Now the rod also corrects. So it gives you wisdom. La vara también te corrige. Te da sabiduría. So if you got the disinfectant, that's wise, all right? That's good. But uh, you see that our hope, our faith is in the fact that we behold the shepherd's staff. Nuestra fe es que miramos la vara del pastor. Now, the next thing 
that brought them out of Egypt was the word. Lo siguiente que los trajo de Egipto era la palabra. And Moses said, thus saith the Lord, twice. Two of the plagues were brought about by the prophetic word of God. Dos de las plagas fueron traídas a través de la palabra profética que habló Moisés. Now, what I'm doing with you in, in this study, lo que estamos haciendo juntos, es para que usted entienda que su, su estudio bíblico tiene que crecer. Your Bible study needs to grow. Say amen, somebody. And if all you, if, if all you do is spend uh, time on the surface, you'll know there were ten plagues. But there is something else that needs to be learned. All right? So the question we're asking is, what were the tools God used? And two of those plagues came because Moses received a word from God and declared it. And I have spoken and preached so much about the word so that if you don't know what I'm talking about anymore, uh, we have to pray for hearing because I have just I have just pounded away at this uh, at this message and I'm going to keep pounding away at it because God has made up his mind about Kingsway Church that he's going to make us know that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Say amen somebody. And and he's he's made up his mind about that so just get used to it. All right, we're going to learn. If you haven't already learned, you're going to learn that your life does not consist of your job or your relationships or your money or the bread on your table. You have what you have because of the word of God. And you'll have what you need when you need it because of the word of God. Say amen, somebody. The Bible says, take words and go to the Lord. So there's an incredible power in the word that is released. And then... Uh, I'll mention number four because I'm going to focus a little bit on number three. The fourth thing God used uh, was the blood of the lamb. Lo, ter, lo cuarto que Dios usó para rescatar a Egipto para que ellos salieran caminando es que él proveó la sangre del cordero. And you remember that the night of the Passover, they put blood over the doorpost of their home. We're going to study that more in the weeks to come as we prepare to celebrate uh, the Passover and resurrection season. But you realize that there is no way to walk out of Egypt except by the blood of the Lamb. No hay salida de Egipto sino por la sangre del Cordero. Somebody should say amen. We don't just talk about the blood and sing about the blood because it reminds us of our old, uh, our old religion or, our, the, uh, or the way of the, uh, of the past. It is the only thing that can guarantee you exit from sin and from the bondage of the enemy. Lo único que puede dar, garantizar libertad del pecado y de uh, la atadura del pasado y del presente es la sangre poderosa del Cordero. It was the blood of the Lamb that opened the door. Era la sangre del Cordero que les abrió la puerta. And I'll just remind you that every prayer we pray, we pray through the blood of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. Cada oración que usted ofrece, y ofrecemos, la ofrecemos en qué nombre? En el nombre de Cristo, en el nombre de Jesús. How many of you know how to pray? Then you know that the name of Jesus is the key. El nombre de Jesús es la llave, and the blood of Jesus, uh, or the blood of the Lamb, was what, what brought them that final deliverance. Now, number three, the third thing God used was uh, uh, only used one time, una vez, Dios le dio a Moisés una instrucción, and Moses took ashes, 
Moisés tomó ceniza, las aventó hacia el aire. He threw it up in the air. He threw up these ashes in the air or soot. The book of Exodus says, and that became a plague. Now, esa, esa ceniza se convirtió en una plaga. Now, I have taught you that those ashes represent something. Esa uh, ceniza representa algo. First of all, it represents the fact that, the, that God can raise up a life out of the ashes. Representa el, el poder de Dios para resucitar una vida. Uh, the, the psalmist writes in Psalm 13 that he raised up us, he raised us up out of the ashes. Dice el salmista que él nos levantó de la ceniza. How many of you have experienced the resurrecting power of God? ¿Cuántos han experimentado el poder de la resurrección? Cuando Dios levantó su vida, God brought your life or circumstances in your life out of the ashes, out of the trash heap, and he made something new. Hizo algo nuevo de ti. Say amen if you know that's, that's happened in your life. What does the pastor say when he buries somebody? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Who can, who can take ashes and bring life to them again? That's the resurrection power of God. ¿Quién puede dar vida a la ceniza? Solo el poder de resurrección que hay en Dios. Uh, the ashes also represent that which has been touched by the fire. La ceniza también representa lo que ha sido tocado por el fuego. And we spoke about the fact that this represents the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Esto representa la obra del Espíritu Santo en nuestra vida. How many of you have a life that's been touched by the fire? Si usted camina con Dios, su vida ha sido tocada por el fuego. That's why when you do something wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts you, it feels like fire, right? It, it, get, it burns a little bit because he's, he's, he's touching your life with the purifying fire of the Spirit. El toca nuestra vida con el fuego que purifica. The Bible said that Isaiah uh, said to God, I am a man of unclean lips, and behold, I live among a people of unclean lips. What did God do? He took a coal from the altar, and he placed it upon his lips, and he purified his mouth. He says, Isaías, que él le dijo a Jehová, soy hombre de uh, labio inmundo y vivo entre pueblo de labio inmundo. Jehová tomó un carbón encendido de fuego y se lo aplicó a los labios y eso provocó limpieza en su vida. And so your life being touched by the Spirit of God is part of you walking out of Egypt and into the promised land. Su vida siendo tocada por el fuego es parte de nuestra vida poder salir de Egipto y poder entrar a la tierra prometida. Now I'm going to dwell on this point about the ashes tonight because uh, this also represents the warfare of the believer in the spirit. Esto, uh, todo esto representa uh, o habla de la guerra espiritual que ustedes y yo hacemos en el espíritu. So tonight, in the time we have left, I don't have much time, I'm going to give you some of the spiritual warfare uh, elements that you have in your walk. Vamos a hablar en el tiempo que nos queda sobre algunos de los elementos de nuestra guerra espiritual. And uh, the first one is there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Lo primero ahí está en 2 Corintios capítulo 10, verso 3. 
al 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. So I'm going to give you three ways that the, the, the fire touches your life. Vamos a hablar de tres formas en las cuales el fuego toca nuestra vida. Now listen what Moses did. He took the ashes, threw them up in the air, and they became a plague. They became a judgment from God on Moses' enemy. Cuando, uh, cuando él toma esa ceniza, la vienta al aire, y ahora se convierte en un juicio en contra de los enemigos de Moisés. Now, uh, what I want you to understand is that when you release the Spirit's power in your life, the Holy Spirit is an avenger. He goes forth to make war on your behalf. Cuando usted desata el poder del Espíritu Santo en su vida, el Espíritu Santo va haciendo guerra en tu vida en contra de tu enemigo. So, instead of uh, next time you have a, a problem uh, or you come up against a challenge in your life, uh, you don't need to go and find some uh, witch doctor, all right? You don't need to go find an hechicero. You don't need to find somebody that knows how to read cards or, or put curses, all right? You need to go to the Holy Spirit. Now, I shouldn't even have to deal with that in here, but just in case you walk down that street today and were tempted. I'm just telling you, the power that you and I have within us has to be uh, activated in us in order to, to see this uh, triumphant warfare of the believer. And this, uh, this first place is right here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3 and 5, let's read. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. But, uh, he says, but divinely, sorry, uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Are we in a war? Are we in a war? How do we war? Do we war by the flesh? What does the flesh mean? My experience, my know-how, my ability, my strength. We don't war by the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are what? They're not flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The power you have is spiritual power. El poder que usted y yo tenemos para hacer guerra y traer liberación es un poder espiritual. This is why it's so important you get in the spirit when you're, when you're facing challenges. Por eso es importante que usted camine por el espíritu. When you walk by the spirit, he will reveal to you who the true enemy is. Cuando usted camina por el espíritu, usted va a entender quién es el enemigo. If you walk in the flesh, you're going to be blaming your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your dog. You're going to be blaming everybody wrong. And when you walk by the spirit, he's going to point at exactly where the problem is. So you got to stop being mad at people because people aren't your problem. The weapons of your warfare are divinely powerful. They're spiritual. And they're, the, the Holy Spirit's able to give you revelation as you walk by the Spirit. We are destroying, now here's the part that's important. We are destroying the speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Now, Paul tells us now, this is where the warfare begins. Where does it begin? 
it begins in our mind. Aquí es donde comienza el, uh, la liberación. Aquí comienza la victoria. Aquí comienza la guerra en tu mente. Listen, the most important place you got to get the devil out of is your mind. Lo más importante que usted tiene que sacar el enemigo o la, los pensamientos de, de la carne es de su mente. The Bible said the mind set on the flesh is death. La mente puesta en la carne es muerte. Now listen carefully to every word in this sentence, in this verse, verse 5. We are destroying. Who is that? Who's we are destroying? Who's we? The believer. Say, I have the power to destroy speculation. Listen, because Paul doesn't say, go to the pastor and the pastor will destroy speculation. Does it say that? What does it say? We are destroying. That means you have something to do with it. Usted tiene algo que ver con esto, porque dice Pablo, nosotros destruyemos. Now, here's what I want you to take away tonight. The we is me and the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. The we is me and the Holy Spirit. Now, say we. Now, if, if it's just you, you already lost before you left the gate. But it's you and the Holy Spirit. Say that meant somebody. What are you doing? He says, we are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Now, this is important because these two words in English don't quite communicate what they mean to us in the original language. The word speculation is the word argument. Everybody say argument. Now, what that means is that the enemy attacks your mind by bringing an argument against God. El enemigo trabaja trayendo a tu mente un argumento en contra de Dios. I'll give you an example. If God were good, this would not happen. Ever heard that argument? You think that came from we? You think that came from you and the Holy Spirit? No, that came from the enemy. When you hear arguments like that, if God loved you, he wouldn't have let this happen. If God cared, he would have stopped it. If God were answering your prayers, you wouldn't be going through this challenge in your life. If God was really at work, like the pastor said, and breakthrough was coming to your house, you wouldn't be having these setbacks. If, if God was really calling you to walk, he wouldn't be telling you to run. You know, he just has these arguments against you. But they're really not against you. They're against God. And the enemy will do two things. He'll always accuse you to God. And you and God to you. So he'll say, if God were good, this wouldn't happen in your life. He's accusing God to you. He's saying God's not as good as you think he is. Or he's not as in control as you think he is. Or he's not as powerful as you think he is. And then he'll accuse you to God. He'll say, why would God listen to you? You've sinned. You know the attitude you had this morning. When they took the last glazed donut. Why would God listen to you now? You hear the arguments? Have you ever heard these arguments? And then the next word he uses is he says that uh, there are lofty things. And lofty things are 
ideas that put themselves above God. Dice Pablo, estamos destruyendo argumentos y cosas que se levantan sobre Dios. So the enemy will take these arguments or he'll take an idea and he'll want to put it above God. Yes, the Bible says that, but your experience tells you different. The Bible says that by his stripes you're healed, but your experience tells you you're sick. And what he wants you to do is take a lie and put it above the truth. To raise it up to a level that it doesn't belong. And this is why people get into trouble in church in particular, because religion raises up thoughts above the knowledge of God. And I'll, I'll give an example. So in, in some places, if you're, not, if you're not dressed a certain way, or if you don't sing certain songs, then you're not really holy. They've raised up a, a thought above God, above the word. Now, can you see how either of these two things could be a real big problem in your life? Can you see that? Now, this is the real problem with this is that he says that we're destroying speculation and every lofty thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Now, everybody say the word stronghold. When you allow an argument or a lofty thought to stay in your mind, it begins to form a stronghold. And just imagine everyone, every lie that you accept from the enemy becomes a brick. Cada mentira que usted recibe del diablo y acepta del enemigo se hace un ladrillo. Y cuando usted la recibe, está poniendo todos los ladrillos y está edificando una fortaleza alrededor de usted. You're building a stronghold around your own life. Who did it? You can. Who can tear it down? You can. Why? Because he says we are destroying. Who's we? Who's we? Come on, let's say it. Who's we? It's me and the Holy Spirit. All right, not us and the Holy Spirit because... It, you don't know about everybody else. You got to talk about me. Who's we? That means that when a lie comes, an argument comes against your future, sent by the enemy to rob you of your peace, of your joy, of your finances, whatever it is, you have to say, that brick's not coming in this house. And you arrest it. He says, we are arresting every thought. We take it captive. Cada pensamiento que viene en contra del de conocimiento de Dios, usted y yo lo tenemos que arrestar. So the moment the thought comes, contrary to the word of God. Now this is what it means when we say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It means that when a word comes in that contradicts the word of God, we say, stop right there, you can't come in. I'm not going to tolerate that thought in my mind. Who's doing this? Who's doing this? You and the Holy Spirit. ¿Quién va a hacer esto? Cuando viene un pensamiento en contra de la palabra de Dios, usted tiene que arrestarlo entendiendo, yo y el Espíritu Santo discernimos, esto no viene de Dios, y pararlo en la puerta. 
And then you reaffirm what you believe by the word of God. Usted reafirma lo que usted cree con la palabra de Dios. If an argument comes saying that God is not as good as you think you are, you, you arrest that argument and you say, my God is better than I think he is. The Bible says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Come on, somebody. This is spiritual warfare over your own mind. Esto es la importancia de la guerra espiritual sobre tu propia mente. Now, this is so important because you can come to the pastor, the elders of the church, and they can pray over you and this stronghold break. But if you go home and you keep the same patterns that keep believing the same lies, the stronghold's going to reemerge. And then people say, well, I got to find me a new preacher. I got to find me a new church because the stronghold keeps coming back. The problem is in the church. The problem is you have habits that you keep taking these lies into your life and they form fortresses in your life that are not from God. Say amen, somebody. But when you understand me and the Holy Spirit can discern and me and the Holy Spirit can do war for my own mind and sometimes it, it takes a warfare because the enemy uh, uh, oppresses the mind of the believer. He'll bombard you with so many thoughts you can't process them all at once. He'll keep you up at night so you can't sleep. And you've got to remember what the word of God says. He gives his beloved a rest even in their sleep. He blesses me even when I'm sleeping. So I don't have to stay awake worrying about stuff that I can't control. God's got it. God's in control. I'm teaching you how to get your sleep back. And how to keep your peace. And your joy. Because, because the enemy is going to be the enemy all the days of your life. And mature believers have to stop crying about it. And... Take what's been touched by the fire and release it into the spirit. Understand, I have something to fight with. And it is the word of God, the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of me. Now, I'm, I'm going to have to move on, although I could go on there quite a bit longer. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Who's we? Oh, there you go. So when the Holy Spirit tells you don't, listen to that. Don't watch that. Don't listen to that music. Don't read those articles. Don't, don't read that magazine. He's keeping lies out of your mind because they tend to become things you tolerate. And when you tolerate them, they form ideas. And those ideas raise themselves up against God, against the knowledge of the word. And so you could take a believer. See, I just can't get off it. You take a believer who hasn't learned the word, and it's real easy because their level of the words down here. So it's real easy to put an idea that's uh, not above the word, above the word, by just accepting whatever they hear. You've got to know the word so that you can live by it. Because if the word of God is defining the reality in your life, when a, when a lie comes and, and the, the, the news says it's going to be worse, then we think, say, not in my house. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. 
Show us somebody. You got to get in the fight. Matthew 16, verse 18 through 10. Oh, that didn't work, does it? We're going to read backwards. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's see. Let me find it. Matthew 16, verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he warned the disciples that they should not tell anyone that he was the Christ. All right, here's number two. We talked about the war in your mind and how to get victory there by allowing the Spirit of God to lead you. Now, here's number two. Jesus says, you and I have the power to bind and loose. Ahora, número dos, Jesús nos da otra, otra arma y es el poder de atar y de soltar. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now that basically means this, that God has given authority to the believer so that whatever we bind on earth, heaven affirms. And whatever is loosed by the believer, heaven affirms. So God's going to He's going to back up your word, your, your prayer, as you're led by the Spirit. Ever heard this concept before? A few of you. Ever heard this concept before? Yeah. Now, there are a couple of very important things we need to understand here. First of all, where does this power come from? And how does it operate? Only, it comes from only, and it operates only in the life of of believers who have accepted the lordship of Jesus Christ. ¿Dónde funciona este poder para atar y desatar? Solo, uh, solo es activo en la vida de una persona que está bajo el señorío del Señor Jesucristo. Why? Because Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's affirming the lordship of Jesus. So if you have not affirmed Jesus as Lord, you don't have his authority to bind and loose anything. Si usted no ha afirmado en su vida el señorío del Señor Jesucristo, usted no tiene autoridad para atar y destruir o, o uh, desatar ninguna cosa. You can, you can spend all your day binding the devil or loosing. And if you're not under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's not going to work. Because authority flows from the head. La autoridad fluye de la cabeza. Here's the second thing. Is that Jesus then said, upon this rock I will build my church. So binding and loosing only operates within the local church. El poder de atar y desatar solo opera en el cuerpo del Señor Jesucristo. Solo opera en la iglesia. Everything Jesus is going to do in the world, he's going to do through the church. Todo lo que Jesús va a hacer en el mundo, lo va a hacer a través de la iglesia. So if you think, well, I'm just going to be a lone ranger. I don't need to be a part of the church. I don't need to be a part of the body. 
There's no authority in that. Si usted dice, yo no tengo que, no tengo, yo, yo voy a ser uh, solo, no necesito iglesia, no necesito pastor, no necesito, no necesito el cuerpo, no necesito el cuerpo, voy a hacerlo todo solo. Usted está desconectado, no tiene autoridad. That's why I told you before, if someone uh, comes to preach here and they, eh, eh, or minister here, I make sure that they're under the authority of a local church somewhere. If they don't have a pastor, they're not part of a body, they don't have anything to say to you. They don't have any authority. And that's why a lot of people, uh, there are a lot of people who are members of this church when they die. They say, I call, call Kingsway. I've never met them before, but the day they die, they, they're part of this church. You got to have understanding that being part of a church is more than that. They met somebody. It's being a part of the function of the body. It's operating in the gifts that you have to benefit the rest of the body. Say amen, somebody. You and I operate. We exist together. And there's authority in that. So much authority that Jesus said, where two of you will come together in my name, I'll be in your midst. Sound like authority? Jesús dijo, si dos de ustedes se ponen de acuerdo... En mi nombre, yo ahí voy a estar. So this is what we're talking about when he says binding and loosing. He's saying this occurs only within the body. Now, uh, there's a, a, a reason why this principle is, is not functioning in many Christians' lives. Number one, they're not accepting the Lordship of Jesus or in the local church. That's the fundamental reason. They're not connected to the authority. Therefore, no one answers to their authority. Listen, when you were saved, God gave you authority. He gave you a badge. But the Holy Spirit is the gun. Because, you know, if you have a badge but you don't have a gun, not everybody's going to listen. And if you have a gun but no badge, there's real problems, right? But you have authority because you've been, you've been given the title son. But you need the power. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power. He's the ammunition. But you're not going to have that power. You're not going to have anything to support your authority if you're not connected to the institution that he has established. The only thing Jesus established on the earth was the church. He didn't start a business. He didn't start a, a school or a library. He started the church. Everything else is man-made. And so we operate under the understanding that binding and loosing doesn't work in many people's lives because they're disconnected from the thing God has instituted. Number two, it doesn't operate in many people's lives because they don't operate it. They don't use it. Now, this is important because you and I have to learn how to, how to operate in the authority that you and I have been given. And we'll continue our study on this at a later date. But I want to just mention a couple things. And because many times in Pentecostals, we're, we're funny in the way we talk. And sometimes our words kind of step over each other. I've heard people cast out a devil like this. Devil, I bind you. And then they want him to leave. It's like, well, how's he going to leave if he's bound? Well, you can't, you can't, 
not understand what you're doing. So there needs to be an understanding of what it means to bind, what it means to loose. Anything you want to leave, anything that's bad, anything that's wrong, that you want to leave your life or your home or someone else's life, you have to loose it. And anything you want to stay, you bind. The Bible says to bind God's word to your life. That's a good thing, right? So tonight, you say, Lord, I bind your promises to my life. I bind your blessing to my life. You're connecting yourself with the, the word of God. You're connecting yourself with the things that are good that you want. And if you get home, there's an eerie feeling in your house. You say, devil, I loose you from this house. I command you to go in Jesus' name. You can't come back here. And most Christians don't operate in binding and loosing, so they don't experience the power that Jesus has given to us. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying, when you bind something on earth, heaven will back you up. And when you lose something on earth, heaven will back you up. You're going to have the power, the authority that you need in order to accomplish the will of God in your life. Are you in the church? Are you connected to the body? Have you received the lordship of Jesus Christ? Well, guess what? You have a badge. And you have a gun. The old military song says, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. I got one more to give you. I'm out of time, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. All right. Psalm 149. Psalm 149. Salmo 149, verso 5 al 9. Psalm 149, verse 5, it says, let the, let the godly ones exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Everybody say, praise the Lord. This is the third weapon you have is your praise. Praise and worship. Esta es la tercera arma que usted tiene. Es su adoración y la alabanza. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Where should praise be? In your mouth. Donde debe estar la alabanza? En tu boca. When you say, praise the Lord, you're raising up the, the name of God. When you say the word hallelujah, the word hallelujah, the Yah in there is the name of God, Yahweh. Let the high praises of God beware on your mind. They're good in your mind, but that's not where they need to be exclusively. Where do they need to be? In your mouth. Let the praise of the Lord be in my mouth. Why, Pastor? Look at the next phrase. And a two-edged sword in their hand. Say, praise the Lord. And pass the ammunition. See, there's a connection 
between your worship and spiritual warfare. Have you noticed? We saw it tonight. You start worshiping God. You start praising God. The spirit of God fills the room. And then you start warfare. And, and before what was like, oh, Lord, help me pray. I can't pray. I can't focus. I don't know what to pray for. I don't have to pray. You start worshiping. You start praising God. All of a sudden, you start praying for things you didn't know you needed prayer for. And, and war power comes out of your mouth. Tell somebody. He said, let the high praise of the Lord be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. What happens when you start praising God? You get a hold of the weapons. You get a hold of the power that is resident in you by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. What does verse 7 say? To execute vengeance on the nations and to punish and punishment on the people. To do what? To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written that this is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. He says, when you begin to worship and praise God, and you're standing in your authority as a believer, you have the power now activated in your life to put kings and powers and authorities and rulers and dominions into their rightful place to put Satan under your feet where he belongs. Say amen, somebody. Because you are operating in the powerful weapons of the Spirit. And he says, this is an honor. In other words, this is a privilege given to who? To his godly one. So I want you to stand up tonight. And we're going to praise God for a few more minutes. They can call the classes back in. I want you just to lift your hands. The Bible said men ought to always pray lifting up holy hands. Let's lift our hands. And then I want you to lift your voice. And I want you to take these weapons that you've been given. It's time to praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. It's time to do war. For the sake of your family, for the sake of the nation, for the sake of the church. In the name of Jesus. Come on, just begin to lift worship and praise to the living God. The Spirit of the Lord's already on you. He's already upon you.